Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome to this episode of Finding Harmony. I'm here with Russell Kay. Well, hello. Hi, and we have two guests today. We're very excited to introduce you to Kate O'Donnell and Rich Ray. It is, it is very exciting. We have a slightly uh, different format today. Uh, today we're going to convene a roundtable uh, or a panel discussion on aging and advanced asanas. And I just wonder uh, if we could start by introducing ourselves and what we do, maybe where we're from, and uh, maybe we could start with, uh, with Rich. How, uh, nice to have you here. Thanks. Great to be here. Tell us how you uh, first were introduced to Ashtanga Yoga. I started Ashtanga in 1995 uh, or 96 uh, in Seattle with David Garig and his wife at the time. Right. Catherine, right? Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. And you've had a little bit of a journey with the practice. You, did you have a little break in your like history of practice? I did. Yeah. I stopped practice. I practiced with them for about three years. I went to Mysore, the old Shala in Lakshmi. The old, old Shala. The old, the old, old Shala. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And I came back and I went and lived at a Buddhist monastery for four years. And so I just completely stopped practice at that point. Wow. You were doing some other intense practices, I would assume. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) The inner work. Right. And do you have a whole nother life besides yoga or is is this it for you? Right now, this is pretty much it. (laughs) Yeah. And did, did you ever do anything else? Were you ever like a, into massively multiplayer, uh, multiple online player games, or were you you a cornerback in the NFL? Anything else? I was a musician, you could say, for a little bit, a kind of a a hack musician for a while, kind of bouncing between bands. Okay. What was your instrument? Guitar. Guitar. Fantastic. All right. Anything on on the Mixolydian scale or pretty straight? Pretty straight. (laughs) (laughs) okay well kate maybe uh could you also uh introduce yourself yeah so i am i was i taught an ashtanga yoga program in boston for 12 years and i've been practicing for a little over 20 years and i'm also an ayurvedic practitioner now and i've written three books on the ayurvedic diet and lifestyle so these days i pretty much um I do a lot of work with teaching Ayurveda and consultations and online courses and that kind of stuff. So I'm not really teaching yoga uh, much anymore for the past two years. And speaking of the Mixolydian scale, you're a big fan of Jerry Garcia. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think the last time we talked, we were talking about how, like, the early days of Ashtanga yoga, it was this similar kind of tailgate community that we had going at this, it was like this global group of friends, you know, and we all traveled together and and just did yoga and that was it. Yeah. 
Ashtanga deadheads. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you, well, you are a great friend of the program. We've had you on before. And for people who'd like to know a lot more about you um, and your different hairstyles over the years, you can please refer to our old podcasts. Um, but maybe we should uh, just finish this circle of introduction. I'm uh, I'm Russell Case. I'm the co-host of the Finding Harmony podcast. It was recently promoted. Uh, I started doing Ashtanga Yoga at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago as a freshman. And uh, I had to be dragged into the class and then very quickly realized that it was uh, a font of uh, psychedelic experiences, uh, which I'm really very gratified about. And I've, and I've been doing it since. Um, and now I'm here in, in Harmony's bedroom which is uh, a surprise to me. And <laughs> Harmony, maybe you could also uh, d- uh, define or introduce yourself to our listeners okay, one, yeah. one more time. Some people don't know me. You know, they just they just like thought this podcast sounded cool, and they thought, oh well, let's listen about advanced aging and asanas. Is that what it is? Or it's a it's a yeah, that's aging a, it's and a advanced panel asanas on aging and advanced asanas. Okay. <laughs> I feel like we're advancedly aging, aging advancedly. Okay. Um, well, I'm Harmony, and um, I guess I'm the hostess of the show. The hostess uh, with the mostest. <laughs> but I was first introduced to yoga when I was a dancer uh, back in 1995. I was quite young at the time. Um, and started practicing a little bit of yoga as a way of um, warming up for modern dance. That's how I was first introduced to it, uh, using breath and movement. So it actually was uh, following the sequence of Ashtanga Yoga, which is kind of interesting. I didn't know that at the time. And then I stopped practicing yoga and stopped dancing and I also had a keen interest in Buddhist meditation and uh, did a major a bachelor's degree in religious studies philosophy and majored in Buddhist uh, philosophy and religion. And that kind of drew me back into the practice of yoga and movement and breath. Um, and that was like 20 years ago. So, mm. yeah, it's been a while. Mm. Well, to start with, um, I think we, it's, it's nice going in a little circle like this for our listeners. I wonder, Rich, if you could start us off, how did you start doing advanced postures the first time? Do you have a, a memory of that, a, a story? I started, well, I guess defining advanced postures as, you know, third series, Mm-hmm. I started that with Kate uh, five or six years ago, I guess. And wow. um, she took me through probably through the arm balances. That's pretty brutal learning advanced from your, your romantic <laughs> partner, isn't it? <laughs> Can you describe what that's like being brutalized by your lover? There was not a, a lot of talking the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> you know, we would have to go out to dinner, you know, once or twice a week to try to, like, reconnect the, the spark. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that ruins many relationships, for sure. Yeah. 
It worked out, uh, though. It worked out. Yeah. yeah. And how old were you when you started? Because that this is an interesting point. Um, five years ago. Five years, years ago. ago. Yeah, five or six years ago. So uh, if you started in 95, yeah. you, then you've been working on, like, half primary for 20 years. <laughs> right. And suddenly right. Right. thrust yeah. into advanced A. Yeah. So I guess I was I was probably around forty four around there when I started Amazing. that. Yeah. Yeah. And prior to that you just been like practicing primary or intermediate series. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that there's anything about advanced for you that uh you said you got into the arm balancing postures? Were were there things there that you felt were immediately an impediment, like this is, this is impossible, Kate, or like, I, this is as far as I want to go. Uh, yeah, I, there was a point where I really felt like if I just do second series for the rest of my life, I'd be fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and Kate was the one who started to encourage me to go forward. And so I started in and the leg behind the head stuff wasn't all that bad. But the arm balance has really started to bring up some weaknesses that I had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have a, a big history with those arm balances, Kate. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I do. Well, you know, Nan- Nancy Gilgoff is, she was my primary teacher for the first decade before I started working with Sherat pretty much exclusively. Yeah. And she taught advanced series the way that Batavi Joyce had taught her, which was that she started with the arm balance sequence. Right. And did that for six months to a year. And then she went back to the beginning and started the leg behind the head all the way up through the arm balances. Oh, weird. Wow. So that was like yeah, to yeah. try and gain a lot of strength. Right, which makes sense for her because she had a weak constitution always. So that makes total sense to me that he was like, well, we know you can put your leg behind your head, but, you know, you really need to build strength. (laughs) But you should learn to do a (laughs) push-up. Right, exactly, exactly. So I learned it that way, and then... Wow. You actually learned it that way, the same as her. Yeah, yep, she taught it that way. Yeah. And I um and then I went back about ten years later and did it all pose by pose with Sherat. Mm-hmm. Right. From, and you know, the one pose at a time from the beginning. Right. And Nancy also teaches a slightly different sequence of third series. She teaches the the old, old, old third series yeah. sequence. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to describe it. <laughs> Right, which which contains like a half a dozen fourth series poses right. as well. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what I learned from her. Wow, and she does. I think all the leg behind the head postures in one go, right, without the vinyasas. Not necessarily, but she would. She was like okay with that. So who's going to do all those vinyasas unless your teacher's making you do them? Right. <laughs> I saw, yeah, I saw Alex Medin do that once in the, in the old Shala with, with, uh, Guruji and he just went ahead and just did them just like that. Look at split. And then I, I remember asking Eddie, is that okay? And he said, yeah, yeah, that's, that's when you, when you're just short on time or energy, you can just, uh, swing through all five in a row. Right. Right. And Which then do the left side all that. five in a row. Yeah. I liked it. I, it was really invigorating. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's because it, it's brutal. After like you get to the fourth or fifth one, and you're more open, but like Lord, you're you're exhausted and done at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I had a friend who used to describe that sequence as being being beat up by your own leg. good good and so you you started i mean i have to imagine that with nancy you started advanced pretty quickly like maybe 15 20 years ago right right i've been practicing for about five years and i asked i remember i was probably about 25 years old at the time and i remember going to her and being like and she knew right away what I was going to say. I was like, Nancy, listen, you know, I'm kind of feeling like I'm ready for something new. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, I knew, ask. I knew you were. And then she was like, fine, you want it? Here we go. And I started doing it and it was just brutal. It was wit. It was, it was too early for me. I just, I don't think I had the strength in my nervous system that was required. So I could do the poses, but it was like, then I began to sort of emotionally uh, break down. Oh, what did that look? What? Did, how did that manifest? You know, I started uh, drinking alcohol. And <laughs> <laughs> that, that seems <laughs> counterproductive to like getting the postures right. Yeah, it was like I think I had to kind of sabotage physically right. sabotage it in a way to give to to like give myself a break or get out of it or something and. I started avoiding Nancy. I mean, we lived on Maui, so it was hard to avoid anyone. But I was—I started to kind of avoid her. I'd only go to class like three days a week. And what I think was the big heads up for me was, was I became too exhausted to do primary or intermediate on the other days. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and I, I see this. This is a thing. And it's like, if you start losing your primary, like something's not right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like that in Mysore. By the time Friday came, I was just like crawling through primary series. Yeah. 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 I did yeah. all, I did all the, the primary series, basically all the vinyasas. I was on my stomach. I was not holding Chatwari at all. I was like, no, I'm just going to, I'm just going to get through this and then go home. Was there a, a part of Ashtanga Yoga, I mean, for a, a third series that that for your constitution was also difficult. Was it the same as Rich? Was it the arm balancing postures? Oh, um, it's a good question. I honestly, it, it's the second half of the series that um, remains the hardest thing for me. It's some something happens in my pelvis in the second half with all the Hanumanasana variations. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So it's, and I think there's a, um, it's, it's a matter of stamina. I think the ability to, to hold the center, I start to lose it, you know, and then I'll, I'll very easily, uh, kind of hurt myself, like have something go off in my sacroiliac joint. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think if you're really, um, like you have some loose ligaments in that area, those postures can aggravate it a bit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's like the sensation for me is that I have to pull against the posture the whole time. Right. Yeah. That's really fascinating. Hmm. Well, Harmony, maybe you could, you could talk about your own experience with advanced. When was the first time someone said to you, you should do an advanced posture? Well, you know, I was very eager when I, 
what started my Ashtanga journey. <laughs> and I was also very young and very light, <laughs> very strong. So after my first trip to Mysore, where I um, was there for just over four months, and um, I finished all of primary and all of intermediate series, when I, I came home, I had just decided it was time for me to start learning advanced series. You decided. Yeah. It was your choice. Yeah, because I didn't have a teacher. So um, when I went to Mysore, really, Sharat and Guruji were the only teachers, like officially, I guess, authorized or certified or whatever gurus <laughs> that I had. There was nobody teaching traditional Ashtanga here in the city. Um, so I just decided to teach myself. Mm-hmm. So I started doing, um, I'd, I'd seen people doing the postures in Mysore because mm-hmm. we would sit and watch, uh, all the practitioners, uh, practice while we were waiting. Mm-hmm. And so I, and so I had kind of become familiar with the series and I think Matthew Sweeney had a, his little cheaty book out that had all the series postures in it. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I taught myself up to, uh, Urdhva Kukutasana. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was back in 2004. And um, and that felt pretty manageable for me. And it felt sort of, at that time, like a nice place for me to practice to. And was it, was it because it was too challenging or you just felt like, this is enough, I've got my intermediate with this, I'm good? Yeah, it felt a bit like that, like... I think my stamina, like Kay was saying, there's so much of third series is about stamina. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was um, where my stamina really took me to. And after Urdhva Kukutasana, the B one is you have to like swing and lift up. And that was felt pretty impossible at the time. I was pretty stuck there. Um, and so I, I kind of understood the idea of, of being able to, you know, accurately or, or sort of proficiently practice each posture. And so that it felt like a natural stopping point for me. Like I just, I couldn't do the B variation. So it's mm-hmm. like, okay, well I'll just stop here. <laughs> um, but I guess when I first was given, I officially given a third series posture, um, probably would have been in Thailand with Paul Delahan, which was only about a year later after that, um, maybe not even a year later, maybe six months later, he uh, started giving me the advanced series asanas. Mm-hmm. So I was already a little bit familiar with them. Right. I, I guess I could. I could also. I guess I'll chime in. I, I feel a little bit um, as a as a as a moderator for the panel. I feel like I, I maybe I, I shouldn't be contributing, but no, we want to hear your story. <laughs> Yeah, you're one of the four. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so I, w- I was practicing uh, for about 10 years, and I was, I was in Mysore on my second trip. And it was that trip, I don't know if you guys remember this, but right in the middle of my trip, uh, Guruji announced that he was going to Africa. And uh, he was going to be gone uh, three weeks. And so... Um, those of you who already paid for your shala fees, uh, you'll just have to pay again when we get back. 
<laughs> they were famous for giving you an extension of your weeks, but never a refund. Uh, yeah, never a refund and no, I don't remember an extension. I just no. had to sign back up when they came back. Um, so I was, I was a little pissed off, but I, I, my friend Karen Grenfell was also there and she said to me, and I don't know how this exactly happened. She said, well, Russ, let's, let's go to Hampi on vacation. And I remember everyone like kind of, did you, did you go on vacation with Karen Grenfell? And I said, Yeah. And it was like nothing romantic about it, but it was in the hindsight, it was really weird. Uh, but while we were there in sharing hotel rooms and practicing hard and then, you know, eating hummus and hompy, which was amazing. Uh, Karen said to me, you know, and she's a, a certified teacher from Australia, from, from Melbourne. She wasn't certified yet. Not, no, no. She was in the midst of inner turmoil at that point. But, um, she, she looked at me and said, you need to start advanced and it's, it's time. And I said, I've never, I've never done it. I've never even tried it or touched it. I said, well, you need to, you need to do it. I said, well, but Sharat and Guruji aren't teaching it to me. How just, just, just do what everyone else does and go home and learn it. <laughs> I said, okay. And so, yeah, I, I got Matthew Sweeney's book and I taught and I, every week I would give myself a new posture unless it was really hard. And then over the course of, you know, a hundred and four weeks, I gave myself all of advanced <laughs> And I didn't find anything very difficult about it. Go on the Barandasana? I couldn't get my toes to the ground, but I could get them on my forehead and hold it there. Right. And But everything else was, was kind of cool. And, um, you know, the Trivikramasana was difficult, but that was probably the most challenging piece of it. And then um, we can talk more about this, but it was then... Um, it wasn't shortly after that time where uh, my whole body exploded and I couldn't do anything ever again. And I still can't do anything. So that was, that was, that was it for me. And uh, that was my experience with it. Maybe we can go back to Rich. Do you feel like learning advanced was different in your home Shala than when you were in, in Mysore and you get a posture from, from, well, I never got advanced poses from Sherrod. Okay. I just finished intermediate. That was as far. So, yeah. You finished in a different way. Did you finish in the class, like where he just lets you kind of practice through? Or did he give you the postures one by one? He would, he would kind of give a bunch of them out. Yeah. During yeah. the intermediate, so the like was class. at home, basically, you know. Yeah, and then like like you, Russell, I just started to, I just started to add them in. At some point, I just I just started to say, I'm not getting any younger. Right. <laughs> you know, it's not going to happen in Mysore, especially yeah. now with COVID and everything. Like, who knows? Yeah. And so, if I want to start exploring it, I just need to give myself a lot of leeway to just see what's available and just kind of open the door to exploring moving forward. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I, I guess that really my question is, it's, it's, I want to give our, our audience an understanding of what it's like, is that we, we do, we explore and we learn at home. But the idea of being taught a posture in Mysore is something a little bit different. I mean, wouldn't you say uh, that we're, um, he yells a, a word out in Sanskrit and we're expected to know that word and then do it. Right, like you don't get a lot of instruction about how to perform the asana. Yeah. You, you might even say it's not actually teaching. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it, it's funny because he, it's like he knows that everybody already knows. Yeah, it's like it's, already learned the asana somewhere. Yeah, it's kind of a, a interesting thing. But he does, I mean, somewhat, I did learn all, like, all of my bent series from him where he did give them to me posture by posture. And some of them I didn't know, and I would have to go and ask. I mean, I knew them, but I didn't know his correct version of doing them. So I'd go and I'd ask him this way or that way. And he would give very specific instructions about things. And Gandha Barandasana, he gave me very, you know, specific instructions about at times. And it was a lot more... He seems to put a lot more detail into those later, I think, advanced asanas into teaching them because less people know how to do them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And it, the other thing um, about learning things at home versus learning them from Sharad is I, I have always felt like he holds the bar much higher than anyone else. So, yes. You know, it's like there were things like Udva Kukutasana B. Like that was, I was always cheating to get up. And then he was like, no, you know, you can't do it like that. And the only reason that I would ever work that hard and figure out how to lift up was because he made me do it. Yeah. That's the interesting thing I think about learning the postures in Mysore is like you say, the bar is so much higher. Um, I remember when I was doing Gandha Barandasana, I could grab my feet and pull my toes down, but I'd never really like, I'd worked on it a little bit on my own. Um, but I was never really like accomplishing it. And after like a few months of being able to grab my toes, then one day he says, put your heels down. And I was like, what? <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> I just looked at him and like said, me? <laughs> right right and i feel like he there are these there's this minutia going on in the posture in each individual body and he can see when something's missing yeah and, and felt like his instructions though he'll say like three words are very direct yeah i i agree i i felt that too and it was interesting because i was practicing like maybe like a couple mat spots away from Steve Lapham and he was also doing Gandha Baradasana and Steve's uh, very strong and also incredibly flexible. Yeah. Um, and Sharat's what Sharat expected out of him as like a pass for the posture as compared to what he expected out of me for a pass for the posture was so much more. It was really interesting to just see like, because he, he knew that Steve's body and what what it was capable of as compared to mine which was much stiffer than his <laughs> yeah that's interesting I remember um I 
I came into the Shala and I was, uh, I think I was fluey and I had a little bit feverish and I probably should have stayed home. I was kind of just trying to tough it out and I couldn't do Karnavasana. And I came down and then I was like, uh, felt really limp. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to move on. And he came over and shouted me down. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you do. And I was like, I've got a, I'm sick. And he looked at me with contempt, <laughs> with that contempt, contemptuous Sherat face. And I was like, like, there's like 95% of the room can't do this posture. Would you give me a, would you give me a, a pass? <laughs> And he's like, no, you stop here and you, and you go to the, you, you do backbends. I was like, fuck off, man. <laughs> but yeah, there was, there was just like, there were particular standards for people that were different person to person. Yeah. And he knew those standards for each person. Well, let's, let's get, let's get back. Um, I, I did, Kate, did you have anything to, to add about uh, doing the, learning the, the practice from, Sherrod or learning it from Nancy? Well, it just turned out to be really important for me to go after those minutiae in the mm-hmm. postures to, to gain the strength in the right places so that I was do Because if, if for me, if I would kind of compensate in the postures in any way, uh, I was creating imbalances in my body. So to go really slow, he's always been super slow with me like one pose a year mm-hmm. and it made sense. Cause then you just really take that pose apart and you really, you, you look at it day in and day out through all the different seasons and, you know, it just worked well for me to go slow like that. Mm-hmm. And is it, is it possible to still do them to that level of, of specificity when you get home? Yes. Yeah. But not every day. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I think at my practice at home is like one day a week. It, it's like awesome. And then the rest of the other days, there's always some struggle going on, which is for me directly in relation to how much I'm working, like yeah. how much else is going on in my life aside from the, the yoga practice. That's really interesting. Cause I remember, um, Noah Williams, uh, saying to me, that he was practicing with John Campbell. And of course, John Campbell was, is a kind of, you know, savant with the asanas and Noah was trying really hard. They were practicing together in North America, maybe, you know, during a tour stop or something. And, and Noah was, was trying really hard to grab his own knees and backbends, standing backbends. And John looked over at him. He said, look, man, that's just in Mysore. You only do that in Mysore. Don't practice this hard at home. And I thought that was such a, an interesting kind of model for the practice, like that there were, there's also times when it's appropriate to practice that hard and times not. Yeah, like it makes sense not to do that 365 days out of the year. Exactly. You know, I go to Mysore and I understand things about the, my body and my nervous system and the postures because I go deeper in them when I'm there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for my first decade of practice, I didn't have a life. I didn't have anything else going on. And then I started teaching Ayurveda and I started getting really busy. And my practice really had to change 
it was it was like a, a physical thing. I, I couldn't keep doing what I used to do and continue to offer other services to people. Well, what kind of sacrifices were you making to do the advance in the first place? Personally, I sacrificed a nightlife. I mean, we all sacrifice a nightlife, uh, dinner, <laughs> you know, uh, relationships, because I didn't have much energy left. I felt like when I was learning advanced, I was like living in this alternate reality, which was what I craved and loved about it. It's like, it's funny, Russell, that you mentioned the thing about psychedelic experiences. Because mm-hmm. I think that first five, at least five years of me practicing advanced, I was like, I just didn't, I don't think I wanted to live in conjunction with the reality that so many other people were living in mm-hmm. and it provided this, like this ethereal realm where I could practice and I would like, you know, disappear into this experience, this psychedelic experience of, you know, the body in tandem with the mind and the activity of the nervous system and the sense organs. And it was like, that was that was my primary interest in, in being alive. Yeah. That's amazing. It's, it's like, there's a, there's a difference between escaping reality and then seeking refuge, which is also an escape. And it's, it's interesting because you're, you're kind of describing that, that kind of experience where you're, you're seeking a way out uh, that is actually a kind of solace. It was like a way in. Yeah. 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 I think it's a deep exploration of that mind body connection. And you start to see how, how mind and matter are like really the same thing. I think it's a really fascinating journey. I I totally relate to what you're saying there. Rich, is is that, would you also say that that's, that's what you're experiencing? What do you, what are you, what are you getting out of this right now when you're doing your advance? Yeah, I, I can totally relate to what Kate's saying for sure. And it's, I, I get a deep sense of connection to myself by doing it. And, um, you know, I've done a lot of med- meditation practice. Mm-hmm. And so I've really worked on kind of getting the two so they're really in sync and I use the advanced practice to really get like hone my attention so that it's fully in my body for whatever time I can I have to do practice and it's just this deep connection to myself that's that's incredibly satisfying how how would you say like you know, your time in the monastery and you've had like decades of, uh, you know, deep meditation practice. Yeah. How is the advanced practice different? Like how, I don't know, how do you relate the two? Yeah. Well, advanced definitely was a lot. It, it opened things up in a way I wasn't expecting different from intermediate. Mm-hmm. It definitely like I, I, I connected to a deeper sense of Banda, I guess I would say like a deep, like, like you had, like Kate was saying earlier, like you have to stay on center to survive doing that series. Right. You know? 
And so the way that, uh, you know, I, I'm from a Zen tradition that's very much focused on attending to in detail, you know, your, your mental patterns and your karmic patterns mm-hmm. and getting into the, 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 how they live in your body, like on a sensation level, not just the thought process, but how the karmic patterns like live in your, in your, in the body and the physicality. And so like doing advanced poses, just like it's required that you're on point and really there. And, and that, that like drives the mind into the body. So that when you meditate, it's like, it's not a huge crossover. Like you're just, you're, you're just practicing being super connected to your experience in your physical, as a physical body. Yeah. Would you, would you say that, like, do you think the asana maybe helped you unwind some of those patterns or some scars? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. That's a great question. I would say yes. I would say definitely like, like, you know, the way I practice now, it's like how, like after I practice, I'll usually meditate and it's how does my, I'm just trying to really get it, get into what my subtle body experiences, you know? And so, you know, I'm not sure exactly if doing third has like cleared out some scars, but it's definitely allowed me to get in my body on a deeper level mm-hmm. and experience like where some scars are. I think that's really, really, really key to the whole thing. Uh, I, I, I wonder if you would agree with this, this notion that the samskara is a, is a conditioned habit uh, and you can be born with it. Uh, genetically, um, but it's also maybe uh, something we learn culturally. And I feel like, let's say, if I sit in chairs because I'm conditioned to by being an American, then I'm going to have a short psoas. And so if I go then to open up the psoas with the advanced posture, say Raja Kapotasana, then there's going to be an emotional, uh, uh, an emotional release. It's not, it's not a release as much as is a confrontation. <laughs> and so there's an emotional confrontation with the samskara that's incredibly intense and terrifying. And when I would, when I'm doing advanced postures, we're actually at this point when I'm doing any posture, I'm looking for that emotional confrontation and then I'm just uh, dancing on the edge of it like Occam's razor. I'm just there, you know, just seeing, you know, how, what can I, what can I actually physically, what can I, what can I confront uh, before I, I'm too terrified to go further. I wonder if that's what you mean by samskara and and, recon, and reconditioning samskaras. Mm. Well, one thing you know, one thing that you mentioned there was 
you know, having a short psoas from sitting in chairs and then, you know, working with that through advanced asana. And, and I just thought, well, you know, there's like a, like there's a buildup. I think it's really important that like the buildup to, to advanced asana. Like we don't just, you don't just come off the street and start doing advanced asana. You've got, <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Like God, yeah. minor, God, intermediate. Hopefully you, you have some background before you're doing these advanced things. And so you're, you're, you're already like in the game with where, with where this stuff's going on in the body. And maybe through doing intermediate, you change your relationship with chairs already, you know, or, mm-hmm. or who knows, but when you get to like the advanced stuff, yeah, it's very much my experience. Like you're, 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 you're on that edge, right? It brings you to an edge of, of what's, what's uh what's available and like that to me is really interesting it's like it's like problem solving it's it's uh it's like a deep learning thing like this relation you're creating this relationship with your body that is where you're coming up against things that are super difficult right not just not just to be in a place where things are just difficult right but to Mm -hmm. somehow move into a place of you know the things we want you know peace equanimity you know a more satisfying relationship to myself that kind of thing it's interesting because i mean for me i feel like right now um you know just doing like (laughs) i feel a bit like kate where um you know life is so busy. I have, you know, nine year old and things going on with him and things going on. You have a, you have a petulant husband. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, a lot of different things going on, uh, you know, just professionally like online and, you know, life feels very busy and overwhelming at times. And, Um, It's been interesting this year in particular, right before um, COVID happened, uh, that was really the last time I practiced a full advanced series was back in March. Mm. And the last, I guess, six months or seven months now almost, it's been really just like trying to, I mean, just like confronting, you know, Ekapadashar Shasana some days or Konasana or a forward fold has been <laughs> like Pashtimatanasana um, bringing up like a lot of stuff emotionally or just like feeling like like I'm hitting an edge in my practice and in my energy. Uh, and so I, it's interesting because I mean, I definitely remember times where that edge was a lot further back in a sense, <laughs> it took a lot more asanas to get there. <laughs> and now it feels like it's often like right present, just like even in the first Surya Namaskara. <laughs> right. And I, I think that's how yoga is supposed to work. Yeah. I, think, I think that the more proficient you get, the less asanas you need to get to the good shit. Yeah. It's interesting because it becomes like right away you're confronted with, with what's coming up. Yeah, because you know how to listen, you know, and you know where to look because of all those years of, 
of doing yoga. I, I feel like at a certain point, um, I, the category of advanced versus beginner versus intermediate, like these categories have started to, to lose their boundaries for me. I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm just trying to move my body in, in these, in these cardinal directions to maintain mobility. And so I might do Surya Namaskar. I might do uh, the splits in the standing sequence. I might um, do some handstands and then I'll find myself in uh, Kanda Pidasana, that, that fifth series pose, just to kind of open my hips up a little bit. And like, so I'm the, the very, very loose, uh, boundaries. And I feel like the the whole, the whole of it is just about, you know, encountering what's blocked, you know, what's blocked here, what's being held here. What can't I do today? Maybe I should move into that a little bit. And the whole thing is, is really, um, very, very elusive to be able to say this is the Ashtanga yoga series. I'm not sure it's even recognizable anymore, except that it feels like, well, this is what I, this is, I'm doing my yoga practice. And as you said, Kate, like the good shit is, is like this ability to, uh, recenter and then drop into a different state of consciousness at will. Like that's really what it, what it was all for is when I'm triggered, can I untrigger myself? Right. Which I, is that I, what you meant by the good show? You know, it, it could be astral travel, but it could, also be, <laughs> it could also be, oh my God, I have so much to do today. I'm freaking out. You know, mm-hmm. like, like meeting the self. Yeah. And sometimes I meet the small self and sometimes I meet the large self, you know, and that's, I think my journey similar to harmonies maybe is in balancing my daily life with my desire for astral travel. <laughs> you know? I understand. Yeah. I think that's, you know, and I, one of the reasons I really reached out to you guys to, to have this conversation today is because there's all these images of advanced asanas available now on social media, you know, and, and I think a lot of people aspire to have these experiences of their bodies, you know, where there's, it's like you, you've made the impossible possible yeah. physically and otherwise, you know, you can't like separate your mind from your body mm-hmm. and people are projecting so much onto these images. And I think possibly causing more confusion in their own pathway of what they want from yoga and of how yoga works. And I I wanted listeners to have the opportunity to not just hear one viewpoint, but four, four different people, you know, who've all sort of walked, been walking this path. We've all been through, you know, primary asanas, intermediate asanas, advanced asanas, and then come to have these sort of similar realizations where now, you know, our practices may look different, but, we're still all kind of grappling with the same aspects of life and spirituality. And of course the aging of the physical body and how I feel like the aging process is 
personally is pushing me to find astral travel without advanced asanas, which I hate. I'd rather keep doing them. I love them. Like, it's so cool. But it's like my body's like, dude, that's not, you know, this is not our jam. Mm-hmm. You know, if you keep trying yeah. to do it that way, we're going to smack you down because mm-hmm. the attention needs to turn now away from using the physical body as a vehicle in that way, that outward physical body. And now it's about like just truly, like it sounds like when you, Russell, what you describe in your practice, like truly tuning into the internal reality and allowing all of these trappings of, of the day that's about to come to not disturb me. Yeah. You know, to find that astral travel just through turning the attention to the realm where astral travel is always available. Yeah, if I, I, if, if I can just relax my tongue and my jaw and my face at will, then everything is, is coming. Control of the universe is coming if I can just do that. <laughs> can you just for our listeners describe what you mean by astral travel? Well, the, you know, we have the, uh, the stula sharira, the physical body. We have the sukshma sharira, the subtle body, which is composed of prana. It's like our life energy movements. Mm-hmm. And then we have the karna sharira, which is the causal realm. And it's where karma and samskaras are, are fixed, you know, in our, in our experience of this form. So it's, it's beyond the experience of the physical body only or of the pranic body only. And it's, it's like tapping into the cosmic consciousness. Like mm-hmm. that aspect of being a human that transcends this physical form that I call Kate. And is that is that a in line with or different from the idea of the Purusha, the seer sitting in the self observing? I would I would say it's the same idea. Yeah. Okay. And I think that's also what I mean by relaxing my tongue. If I can just re- use my physical tantric body as a vehicle to relax my tongue, then the seer sits in the self and I'm, I'm conscious of all things and my projections onto them. Yeah. And I do think the tongue is a, is a bridge between the worlds. I mean, that's where the Kateri Mudra was such an important thing in the tantric texts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you do that? Did you cut the little strand underneath the your tongue? The frenulum? Oh, yeah, Did you do that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you took one. care of that. that right away. As soon as you read that, like, yeah, here we go. Here's the box cutter. There we go. That was where I drew the line, actually. <laughs> I know. Slowly, slowly. Slowly, slowly, right. I, uh, I had a little story I wanted to tell that I think is uh, – um, I was in San Francisco – when um, when Deskachar was there and he was doing a um, doing a yoga workshop and um, a friend of mine, my my good friend Frank Sclafani, who died yesterday nine years ago, um, he brought Deskachar to Kaiser Permanente Hospital and we had a roundtable and it was amazing with all of the physicians. Um, maybe one or two of them did yoga, and uh, I asked Deskachar this question. 
I said, uh, Mr. Deskachar, everyone here has seen you doing the advanced postures at Jagan Mohan Palace and Life Magazine from the 30s. But like, actually, no one there had, had actually ever seen them. But I said, everyone's seen them. You know, why why are these postures important? And he, and he got very excited. Yes, yes, I was there. I was there with my father. It was very exciting. We The Life magazine was there. We took all these photos. It was very exciting. And then his wife popped up, piped in, Menaka, and she said, strong bones. That's all. Strong bones for children. That's all. The only reason to do advanced postures. And then it's 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 an interesting idea. I thought that that we're talking about something very metaphysical, and about our our experience of of life and the universe and sensation. And they were uh, they were saying this thing is very good just for kids to do, and it's helpful to them. The rest of us are just getting by. And even like Deskachar, he he himself, like he told his, his father that like when he was, I think he was 37, like, I'm done, dad. I'm, I don't want to do any more advanced postures. And so I wonder if we could ask this question in a circle again, like, why, why are they good? Why is it useful to do advanced more so than, say, just half primary, which is also maybe just as effective? I think that depending on your constitution and uh, when you start practicing and your aptitude and also your um, enthusiasm Mm. for progressing physically in uh, the practice. I mean, I feel like your edge keeps um, moving. And so sometimes that edge is just sitting in primary series and that's where you're going to reap the most benefits is from doing primary series. And sometimes that edge or that boundary of, of where you need to experience uh, different things in yourself, what comes up is going to show up in intermediate series. And, you know, a lot of people find that in the, in that Kapotasana posture that, you know, very deep back bend, uh, in the intermediate series or in Ekapadashashasa. And that's going to be your edge for a while. That's going to bring up a lot of, uh, you know, self-doubt, self-criticism, fear, anxiety. Uh, you're going to have to start looking and examining your life, what's working, what's not working. Um, you know, all these different obstacles uh, there are not just physical obstacles, but are um you know, like samskaras, lifestyle patterns, lifestyle habits, even ways of thinking, ways of understanding the world. It could be deep family samskaras. It could be things from your childhood. All kinds of different things come up as you progress in the series. But these things also come up in primary series. And the longer you practice, I think you will confront these things more and more, no matter what series you're doing. It's just some people physically are able to move uh, a greater distance in a shorter amount of time, I would say. And so you, you need more challenging postures to look at these different aspects of yourself. And so I think it, it definitely does tone and clean and purify the nadis, these energy channels in the body, and also takes you, like Kate was saying, to this 
beyond even your, your energetic body, your physical body into this causal body where you're really like healing different aspects of yourself or working on them. And it's not that everybody needs the advanced asanas to do this. It's just, um, for certain people, they're extremely effective ways of doing this. Um, and for other people, it just increases and inflates their ego. So it's not necessarily a guaranteed remedy for self-healing, I think. And, and also, I think it shows you your attachment, your attachment to the body, your attachment to your ability to do something or not do something. Um, all of these really deeper yogic um, ideas or things that we're meant to examine in ourselves and in our lives, I think it starts to pull up to the surface in a very visceral way. At a cellular level, we experience them. And, and it's not just philosophy where you're thinking about it. It's, it's felt and it's embodied and you can't escape it then. So I guess for me, that's, that's one aspect of the advanced asanas, what they're good for. But I don't think that it's, it's guaranteed. I think you can become a user of advanced asanas the same way you can become, you know, certain drugs have medicinal purposes, but you can also escape into them and become a user of those medicines as well. And then they're not going to do what they're meant to do. They're just going to give you uh, the escape or the the feeling that you're looking for, the sensation or the ego, the gratification of the ego or whatever it is you're after. And, and so sometimes I think they get abused as well. Rich, uh, I wonder if any of that resonated with you that um, as Harmony was, was saying this, this notion that um, I, I felt like there was something there that uh that talk that that Rich was talking about finding that edge and exploring it and going deeper and deeper um, as as your capacity. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think that that's definitely something you were speaking to, Rich. Is that that endless sort of chasm of exploration of of self and matter and mind and that comes up in the asana? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I, I, there was so much in what you just said, Harmony, that um, what what's right there in my face right now is the like when when we first started this conversation and it was like, well, how did you get involved with advanced poses? And I thought, like, the first day I got on the mat. <laughs> yeah, it felt pretty you know, advanced. It felt super advanced, you know, like getting doing soup to Kramasana was so advanced for me. You know, I, I had a, a whole lifetime of running behind me and oh you know, I was so tight. So, um, yeah, you know, I guess, I guess my point is like, you know, what, what, what's the, like, what are we getting at? Like, what are we going for? I guess, you know, like, and, you know, I, I'm not sure if if the if it's just like finding an edge and exploring what's there. Like I can do that when I go rock climbing. You know, like I can get to that place where I'm in my body and I'm in some place of, you know, 
problem solving and figuring out where my limits are. And, and it's kind of the same process, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like Asana offers this, this, like what you were saying, Harmony, getting in and working with, like they're designed to affect your subtle body in some way that rock climbing or other physical things aren't. And like honing the sensitivity to that and then using asana to get towards that and and getting connected to that so that you feel like you have a place on this planet, you know, like you feel connected to the universe, whatever words you want to use there, you know, where you feel like you're just okay. Like that to me is the, that's how I kind of go at it. And that's how I teach my students, you know, like what, like, let's drop all the, all the beliefs and all the shoulds and the way practice should look. And let's get at what, what's going to work. I like that. And how is it that you're, that you're able to maintain it? Like, what do you have to do to be able to do it now? I, 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 I get, I gather that you're 50. Yeah. And it's, uh, to me, it's incomprehensible to me, given my own physical state, to be able to function, even to do Sherat's lead primary class. Yeah. What are you, what are you, what's happening for you that you're able to maintain an advanced practice? Lots of coffee. Lots of coffee. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, you know, I just, I've, I've opened up a door to what's going to work for me. And so I practice that. We just like John Campbell was saying, where when you're in Mysore, like you go for it, you know, Mm -hmm. do that practice there. But when you're home, you know, like you got to do what works for you with what, like, you know, all the various factors in your life, your work, your relationship, all this stuff. So that's, I just kind of go at it day by day. I try to find guidance. I, I, you know, I go to Mysore or I'll go see, I still have a relationship with David Garik even to this day. And so I go to him. I work with a high level Iyengar person in Boston. Um, so I get, you know, like guidance is really helpful. And then um, just kind of figuring out a, a routine that's going to get me to that place. Are, are you, are you taking steroids? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I'm not doing like advanced practice like every day either, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, my friend Sharon Moon once told me that she, she took steroids for some kind of condition that she had. I think it was, um, um, what's that chicken pox you get as a, as an adult? Oh yeah. Shingles. She got shingles. She took, she, she was given steroids for that. She said her practice was amazing. (laughs) It was so much better. And and she was like doing just fantastic stuff. So I just want to know like what you're doing that I can't do. And I'm wondering if it's, if it's more than just coffee, is it, you know, Kate's Ayurvedic routine? Are you doing the colonics? Like what is it that's working for you that you're able to do it? You know, I can't say there's really a magic bullet other than other than simply just working like like I ref, I never do uh, what's the most 
No, no, no. When you roll the foot under. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I just, I've tried that a few times and, and my, my knee joint, like, pops out. Yeah, yeah. It's complete. And, you know, I just, I'm like, I'm not doing it. Like, I'm just not ever going to do that pose. Like I've, I've mm-hmm. let it go, you know? And so now if I was going to do advanced a with Sherrod, I'd, I'd have to do it. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'd have to do it. But at this point, if at, you know, at 50 and the way the world is now, I don't know if that's ever going to happen and I'll cross that bridge when it comes. But for now, it's just like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to push my knee through that. Because, you know, that means that, that I'm doing it right or I'm, you know, so I, I definitely like try to figure out what's, what's going to keep me going. Mm-hmm. Kate, would you say that when you observe Rich's practice, that there's something about him that you can, you can tell that this is why he's able to do it when say other people can't? Well, I mean, yeah, I have my ideas about it. Um, yeah. Definitely. I think he lives a very simple life, more than most people I know. Um, He takes really good care of himself. You know, he doesn't, like, push it. Um, Like, he he doesn't eat much. There's that. That's helpful. Yeah, it is helpful. And I, and I think he purposely doesn't eat sometimes when he would otherwise because he cares about his practice in that way and wants to continue to have that kind of lightness of body that, that makes doing those kind of asanas more available. Whereas I've had to shift away from that. And I think that's a big story for a lot of women as they go through their 30s is our, our bodies do undergo a lot of changes where we have to really take care to protect our nutritive fluid layer so i don't want people to listen and think oh okay i'm going to eat less and that's going to you know be the answer because it works for rich he's got a constitution where that works he's got a good agni you know and i think the number one thing is is his meditation practice i think he does purification of the mind and subtle body for like at least an hour every day and so there's just less crap floating around in the practice i don't know if you disagree with any of that no, no. I would just say with the food, I, I definitely don't starve myself. You know, like I really eat because I know it's such a big story. You know, it's a really big story with people is food. And I don't want to give some kind of coloring like, you know, I, you know, in order to do what I do, I, I starve myself or I, I feel really satisfied with my relationship to food. And I feel like I, I eat you know, when I want to, what I want to, and I don't, I don't feel super restricted around that. So just for the record. (laughs) Thank you. Some people, I mean, are also just really blessed with the constitution that like burns calories (laughs) quickly. I have that. Yeah. 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 And it helps. I mean, it really helps for the asana practice. (laughs) You know, I think I think that those are great points, though, Kate, with I mean, you know, if you can simplify your lifestyle where your diet's super clean, it has to be so clean. And I mean, if you can do other practices like pranayama and meditation and 
you know, you're doing like an hour of those things. And then you're doing like a couple hours of asana every day. And you're getting to bed at like 8pm every night. And you stop eating at like, five or 6pm every night. You know, that helps a lot to, uh, to advance asanas on a regular basis. It does, you know, and that's the, that question of, you know, people might see this kind of a yoga practice represented it through videos or photos and think, yeah, that's where I'm going. That's what I want. But do they realize that all, everything you just said, Harmony is, is also required. Yeah. You want to safely and beneficially practice in that way. There's, there's something else that I think this is that, that's interesting that comes up with the, the kind of samskara that we're, that we're cursed or blessed with. And there's an argument either way, I think, in, with anything, with any samskara. Um, when, I, when I look at someone who, in, when I was looking at advanced A practitioners, um, on the whole, there was something about them that felt that there was a, a deep, serious sadhaka of achievement about the practitioner. They had given up an enormous amount to get there, to, to uh, prepare themselves, to almost like a professional athlete would. Like someone like LeBron James is spending, I think, something like $300,000 a year on his self-care so that his body is right for the, for for basketball, and I feel like with a lot of the certified A practitioners, there was that element, like they had taken care of themselves professionally. Whereas the advanced B practitioner, someone who has done advanced B, and whether it was uh, you know Olaf or uh, Alaya, uh, Fabio. To me, the that kind of person was a little bit different. That person was, I think, um, at a at a molecular molecular level, had some kind of physiological laxity, some kind of personality defect. <laughs> that um, they, the rest of us have to work very hard to not care. They just didn't care. And their bot and it resonated in the in the in the flesh of their body. You could feel an advanced B practitioner, and it was something like gum. It was like it was like doughy bread to touch their flesh. And they and for me, someone like or even like someone like Kino, like when they get into advanced B, they're there for the first time experiencing sensation that all the rest of us experience, like Rich said, in Surya Namaskar the very first day. And I, and maybe some of them would object, like, no, no, I really worked for it. But I also, I also feel like there was just so much, it was just something so very different about them that they had to do advanced B just so they could, um, you know, tie their whole body together or they could center themselves and at, at that point, to me, it brings up the question, you know, why do we put any status on something that you're born with? Or, or it's a karma, you know? Yeah. And that, that's, I think, problematic that we do that in the yoga world, is that it's believed that some 
ways of practicing are somehow better than others. Mm -hmm. Everybody has their own nut to crack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there are, there are plenty of people who never do an asana in their life. And they're, they live a happy, satisfied, connected life that's yeah. full and robust and, you know. There's a lot of... Um... Yeah, a lot. I mean, even like deep spiritual practitioners that that, you know, have maybe reached levels of enlightenment, we would assume based on their, you know, levels of meditation or prayer or contemplation that, you know, don't have an asana practice. Absolutely. Right. It's just for the four of us. This is what we were drawn to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it's a funny thing. It's like getting a belt in, in Kung Fu or Taekwondo when you get, you know, a, a certified B or um, um, authorized B or authorized two, you know, you get a belt and you get a new posture. It's, it's, it's a, it's an award more than it's something being taught to you. You know, Sharat's, it feels to me, it always felt like I was being awarded for effort or for, for karma, or for samskara. It's like, oh, you were born lucky, have another posture. And then we, then we, we project status onto that person that was born lucky. And it's, uh, I think it's deeply unfortunate in a, in a, a spiritual community to have these uh, hierarchies of status. Because who actually is the nicest one? You know, who's the, who's the Fred Rogers of the community? That's the person you'd want to learn from. Oh, just nodding our heads together. <laughs> that was good. That was really, we were all like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. who's the Fred Rogers of our Who community? Who is the Fred Rogers of our community? <laughs> Put us all into deep thought. Yeah. It's Robbie Cavallero, right? Maybe. <laughs> Robbie Cavallero is the most spiritually advanced person in our community. Right? That's the person we should all be studying at the foot of, is Robbie. <laughs> Robbie doesn't want any students. <laughs> that's, and that's a sign of his evolution as a spiritual figure. I feel like, I feel like Arjuna, when I was teaching at Stanford and I had Robbie as my assistant, it was like having Krishna as my assistant. That's, so that's what it was. Like, oh, man, who's the boss here? I just wanted to highlight what what you were saying, Kate, because I think it, it just deserves repeating um, about the amount of sacrifice and the idea that you can look at advanced asanas and feel like, yeah, that's what I want. But, but then there's all these other questions you have to ask yourself, like, well, do you want your relationship? Uh, do you want to enjoy your food and your diet? Do you, do you want to have a you know, drink every Friday night or every once in a while, maybe you can still do it one, once, once in a while, but you know, do you want to wake up at 4am every day? You know, like all these different questions that you have to ask yourself. And I mean, and then there's some factors even that are out of your control. Like some people just honestly don't have the body constitution that's going to allow for the advanced asana. And maybe it's, not nice of me to say that, but it's really true. It's definitely true. It's it's completely inappropriate for some bodies 
and, and it will never happen. But the good news for them is that they're likely meeting their edges in different ways, like in primary. Yeah. You know, and the, the whole point is, as you said, to learn about our attachments. And I feel like spiritual evolution is a, a steady and slow process towards non-attachment. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Hmm. Learning to let go, right? Yeah. And like Russell said, the advanced practitioners, they don't care. <laughs> like, and, and I from that was my experience of learning advanced is like you get to a place where you just don't care anymore like, yeah. I don't care you're too you, fucking tired man to yeah, just give a like, show. I don't care if it gives me another pose <laughs> ever like it's yeah. fine like I'm doing my work yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's it, that's a that's a really fascinating juxtaposition that happens because I think like when you're learning third series, there's, there's a hunger, there's a drive. Uh, you feel like you're, you want more, you want to complete the series, you know, and some people I think have this hunger, this drive even into advanced B series. But at some point, you know, it could even be an intermediate series. At some point you reach a place like, I don't know, it's like a deep contentment within yourself where you just are like, I, I'm fine. I don't want anything else. I don't need anything else. This is good. I just, I just need to do the things I have already. I'm not hungry for, to learn anything new physically. <laughs> yeah. And that's natural, you know, and people meet that at different places and it's, it, when it happens, it's a beautiful thing. In Ashtanga yoga, we have a primary an intermediate and, and, and advanced structure with um the inability to go to Mysore with with the the all of us stuck in our homes um preserving it's a it, we have this we have this tradition that we're holding to uh is is there something that we need to maintain in ashtanga yoga uh do we have an obligation to do this you know, I'm all, I've always been an advocate for a systematic approach to yoga asana. And that's my biggest beef with newer generations in yoga is that sometimes it's uh, it appears random to me, mm-hmm. the use of the asanas. And I do think that there's a brilliance in the yoga chikitsa, the nadi shodhana, the stirabhaga, like this very well-defined progression through the purification process that begins with the physical body, moves into the mind and the nerves, moves into the sense organs, which begets your relationship to your life. And I, I think without some sort of systematic approach, yoga is hobbled. And, and I, I think it's, uh, I want to say dangerous, but Maybe it's just that it personally makes me sad. Mm. Um, less effective or? Right. Right. Like we're, we're, we're missing an opportunity, I think, if we throw, throw the whole uh, thing away. But I do think the way that we approach it needs to be much more intentional. Yeah, maybe a little more open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. And by that, do you mean... Um, more in this in the in the way that say 
Deskachar does, in, in that it's tuned to the individual, the practice. And the, the krama of it is, the krama is uniquely designed to the individual, or that the, because that's really breaking up a system at, at a certain point when you, when you, do, when you yeah. go too far there. Yeah. Yeah, Kate, Kate's pointing at me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I do agree. I feel like it's a, it's a, you can look at it, one end of the spectrum is just doing your own thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the other end is, you know, just doing this very strict regimented thing. And somewhere in the middle is, is what we're going for. At least I am where it's, it's, there's a system and then you work with the individual within that system. The middle path. Yeah, I guess so. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, like, like the individual and just seeing, you know, taking in all the different factors for what what they are, what they want, you know, their constitution, what their life is like, what they're going through, you know, what their injury status is, all the, like all this stuff, and then making kind of work, just like Desikar did, you know, just work with them in some way that they can have a daily practice that 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 works for them, that makes their life better. I think that's the beauty of the Mysore style, and yeah, that you can really connect with the students at at the place where they are and help each person grow and, and there develops a relationship with between the student and the teacher. And I think that's really where the yoga starts to happen is in, in that student teacher connection and in that relationship. Yeah, totally. Well, what would you leave us, Kate rich harmony? Where, where would you leave this, this younger generation? What should they be doing? (laughs) Hmm. I think what what Harmony and Rich were just talking about the relationship, student teacher relationship. I think I do think it's important to find someone who's further along the path than oneself, and someone who is manifesting qualities that you respect and admire and desire. And then you're you're safe. You're learning from this person who's embodying a place that you would like to go. Mm-hmm. You're more, more so a coach than a master. You know, I don't know. I, I think, I think at some point one might reach a mastery. Uh, I see what I did. I'm sorry. Um, I mean like a slave master relationship, but then there's also the mastery. <laughs> uh, you want some, you want a coach with mastery, <laughs> but you don't want to be in like a sadomasochistic sort of situation. Right. And, and a good teacher should see that from a mile away and not allow that to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think as everything's transitioning to online teaching styles, it's going to become more important for people to maintain that connection to a teacher, whether it's just checking in, you know, once a month or once every three months or something, you know, even if they can't have that connection every day, I think it's really valuable. And we've seen how it, how it can work actually, you know, from a distance now, um, you don't necessarily need to travel to connect with that person, but I think it's important, like you're saying, Kate, to, to connect with people that someone that you really respect and that you want to become like. Yeah. And I think also the post that inspired me to want to have this conversation with you guys was a post harmony where you were asking sort of the rhetorical question of, of what's your intention 
in in doing asanas. And I, I think that the practitioner must remain very faithful to their most deep aspiration of yoga. And, and if that's the guiding principle, some sort of uh, self-cultivation, self-knowledge, evolution, that will protect the student from the pitfalls of the ego, injury, that sort of thing. Yeah. Any last thoughts, Rich? Well, uh, uh, yeah, the, the question of, of like the younger generation, um, what immediately came up was something about, about the ability, like just letting there be room to, to learn from mistakes. Mm-hmm. And, um, that that's a big part of it, right? Just life in general is about learning. It's about just being courageous and stepping forward and, and, you know, putting your heart into something. And, and if it fails, it fails and learning from, like I picture like this whole generation of yoga people coming up and there's so many confusing messages and, um, and just allowing people to kind of figure it out and offer uh, just be open to offering, you know, how, like, I just, for me personally, it's just offering the path I've gone down with the people who have guided me. And I just keep checking in with the people who I look to to guide me and then offering what's, offering that to, you know, this, this, all these people that are coming up, you know, growing into, you know, the yoga scene or whatever you know, looking for something. And I don't know, it's not really very clear, but something about, you know, that I guess that it's just to stay open and that, you know, it's really easy to get into condemning other traditions or other people and that kind of thing. And just to kind of just stay grounded and, you know, teach what you know and move forward with that. Yeah. I think I'd, I'd add to that that um, there might be a distinction between the zealot, the fanatical new student mm. who is um, devoted to the orthodoxy and intolerant of any variation, which reminds me a great deal of myself and when I started teaching. Um, <laughs> incredibly intolerant. Um, but But that's a slightly different... Uh, notion than uh, the person, the young person who has no practice at all and has no uh, technique, no, no, uh, no power over themselves. And for that, you know, there's, there's a, there's a kaleidoscope uh, of different practices that work and all of them come down to the same, point, which is a, a, a single pointed focus of attention and, and then paying attention to your own suffering and examining it. And that happens when you're stretching your hamstring. It happens when you're sitting with the, 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 a shame spiral that's happening in your own mind and you're just sitting and watching and that 
that's enough. Just doing that, taking that moment to register and watch as it, as it occurs is yoga practice. Amen. <laughs> and amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> uh, do you want to just let us know where our listeners can find you, Rich and Kate? They can find me at ashtangaportlandme.com and at richraymeditation.com. And I have uh, Instagram at uh, at Rich Ray Yoga. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Kate O'Donnell dot yoga. And on Instagram, it's Kate O'Donnell dot Ayurveda. I have one quick funny story to tell before we go. We share a common uh, student who uh, is uh, learning in my pranayama course right now. And she also uh, was taking some self-care uh, online courses with you, Kate. And she sent me the funniest email because I had just been talking about the Kriyas and, uh, you know, the purpose of cleaning all the mucus out of your body and the subtle body, the physical body, and, you know, going through that. And apparently your self-care course, a lot was talking about mucus and cleaning out the channels. And, and uh, she sent me an email telling me how she had just done your self-care course after uh, being with me in the pranayama class and she said so much mucus so little time yeah i thought i couldn't agree more actually <laughs> that's like the story of my life <laughs> oh, yeah, and that class if if listeners want to hear it it's recorded it's available at uh on my website it's a self-care workshop beautiful everyone can learn to clean out the mucus exactly right. yeah <laughs> thanks so much guys for coming on the show today thanks for having thanks us thanks for having us thanks, thanks, thanks for listening to this episode of finding harmony with me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow Watching the breaking waves There's a heart Oh,